Good morning. Today's headlines, the sub that lost communication near the sunken Titanic is still missing. As of this moment, air supply for those aboard would have run out. And a whistleblower says he was fired for raising safety concerns about the craft. Chaos on the House floor as Democrats protest Republican censure of Congressman Adam Schiff. We have reactions from Schiff and House Speaker McCarthy. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi is expected to deliver remarks and take questions from journalists at the White House today. What does his visit mean for the U.S.? Historical drops in education scores. Some blame the COVID pandemic, but others aren't buying that. They say something more sinister is behind the lowest numbers in decades. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, June 22nd. You know, Evelyn, time may be running out, but there is still hope for the sub. Oh, yeah. The multinational rescue team is intensifying efforts to locate it. And some are saying that the Titan sub incident will lead to safer regulations for underwater exploration, just like the sinking of the Titanic led to safer navigation. Well, yeah, let's hope so, because we don't want to see a repeat of this. And here's what's going on in the search for the missing sub and the five people on board. As of now, time has pretty much run out as far as oxygen supply is concerned, and the search continues. The 96 hours of air supply it was said to have had is gone. Rescuers searching near the sunken Titanic have been concentrating efforts in an area of the North Atlantic where undersea noises were detected. But officials say the sounds might not have even came from the vessel. Dr. Michael Guillen survived an accident near the Titanic wreckage two decades ago. They lost communications very early in the dive, an hour and 45 minutes, less than two hours. That means they were on their way down. They hadn't hit the bottom yet. If, if it had been a merely communications failure, then why didn't the ship come to the top? Because my understanding was that this uh, Titan was designed so that in case of a crisis, uh, it would come to the surface automatically. It would trigger some kind of buoyant, uh, buoyancy uh, devices that would bring it to the surface. That didn't happen. So I have to believe that given the evidence, it had to have been not just a communications failure, but some kind of overall catastrophic failure. If the sub is found in the next few hours and it's underwater, it would still take time to get the sub to the surface and any survivors out. A whistleblower that worked for the company that operates the sub OceanGate says he was fired after flagging safety concerns. According to the lawsuit he filed after his dismissal, he had serious safety concerns about the craft's carbon fiber hull and other systems. He refused to authorize any manned tests of the Titan unless the hull was subjected to a non-destructive testing scan. OceanGate allegedly relied only on an acoustic monitoring system that was meant to detect the start of a hull breakdown. Other issues the lawsuit brings up are flammable materials being used in the craft and the viewport at the front of the vessel. The viewport's manufacturer would only certify it up to a depth of around 4,000 feet. The complaint says OceanGate intended to take passengers down to depths of 13,000 feet. And breaking overnight, at least three people died in Texas after a series of tornadoes caused significant damage in the northern town of Matador yesterday. Local media reports say the storms produced softball-sized hail and wind gusts topping 100 miles per hour. 
The storms caused widespread power outages across the Rolling Plains region. Several hundred homes were left without electricity in the nearby community of Jayton, a small community of around 600 people. The first storm started around 8 p.m. local time on Wednesday. Less than two hours later, a total of three tornadoes were confirmed. The tornado in Matador was the only one that caused significant damage. Turning to politics, the House yesterday voted to censure California Congressman Adam Schiff, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee. The measure centered around his role in the Trump-Russia investigation. Here are the details. On this vote, the A's are 213 and the nays are 209. With six answering present, the resolution adopted. Without objection, the motion to consider is relayed on the table. A resolution to censure Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff passed along party lines on Wednesday. Six Republicans voted present. The measure condemned Schiff for perpetuating the notion there was collusion between Donald Trump's 2016 campaign and Russia, an accusation that has since been debunked. The House of Representatives censures Adam Schiff, representative of the 30th Congressional District of California, for misleading the American public And for, and for conduct unbecoming of an elected member of the House of Representatives. The revised resolution removed a $16 million fine against Schiff, which is half of the taxpayer cost of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. Schiff is now referred to the House Ethics Committee for investigation. Chaos erupted on the House floor as Democrats contested the vote. Some Democrats gathered around Schiff in a show of solidarity. Schiff reacted by calling the censure a badge of honor. To my Republican colleagues who introduced this resolution, I thank you. You honor me with your enmity. You flatter me with this falsehood. You who are the authors of a big lie about the last election must condemn the truth tellers and I stand proudly before you. House will be in order. A censure resolution is a punitive action that can be undertaken by the House to discipline members for actions that fall short of grounds for expulsion. Schiff is the 25th member of the House to be censured in American history. Democrats and Republicans react to John Durham's testimony on Capitol Hill. Special counsel John Durham detailed what went wrong in the FBI's seven-year-old investigation into former President Trump's 2016 campaign. Entities Melina Weiskup followed the hearing closely yesterday and heard from both sides of the aisle. Well, one concern that Chairman Jim Jordan repeatedly brought up through today's hearing was the question of why the FBI did not investigate Charles Dolan, who was one of the key sources for the Steele dossier. I wanted to find out what Democrats have to say in response to this concern of Jordan's. Here's what they told us. And on Dolan, why do you think the FBI chose not to interview him about the Steele dossier? I think that there's a lot of evidence here in terms of what was already done. Oh, almost three dozen crimes, people that pled guilty to things, corporations. Everyone they prosecuted was convicted. Durham, after $6.5 million, prosecuted two people and it took the jury two hours and six hours respectively to, to acquit them. He has no credibility whatsoever. 
And to that point of those cases pursued by Durham ultimately being acquitted, this is one of the ways that Democrats repeatedly try to discredit Durham's report. That report that was released back in May ultimately says that the FBI skipped key procedures and they had insufficient evidence to launch that full investigation into former President Trump's 2016 campaign, although Durham did say that a preliminary investigation was needed. Our report should not be read to suggest in any way that Russian election interference was not a significant threat. It was. The FBI opened up Crossfire Hurricane without speaking to the people who provided the initial information. Is that true? That's correct. We found troubling violations of law and policy in the conduct of highly consequential investigations. So if there was legitimate violations of law and policy, why were those cases brought forth by Durham ultimately acquitted? We asked some Republicans why they thought that those key players were not held liable or accountable. Here's what they told us. You're talking about trying to bring in witnesses from foreign countries to prove cases. You can do something wrong that isn't illegal. You can do something wrong that is not easily indictable or easily convictable. And although Durham's report and today's hearing was only focused on Trump's 2016 campaign investigation, Chairman Jim Jordan says that these consequences could reach even further than just political candidates. Parents at school board meetings are terrorists. Pro-life Catholics are extremists. Even journalists aren't safe. Although we know the DOJ repeatedly has denied this, saying that their work focuses solely on violence and threats of violence. As for what Congress is planning to do with this Durham report, they're planning to update the FISA regulations, which ultimately deals with how foreign intelligence is gathered. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Wisecup, NTD News. The judge who will oversee Hunter Biden's plea deal case has been revealed, and she is a Trump appointee. The Senate confirmed U.S. District Judge Mary Ellen Noreka with bipartisan support in 2018. Noreka issued an order yesterday requiring Hunter Biden to appear in federal court in Wilmington, Delaware on July 26th. The younger Biden agreed to plead guilty to federal tax charges and gun charges earlier this week. He will likely avoid jail time by entering into a pre-trial diversion program. Noreka will have to approve the deal between Hunter Biden and prosecutors. The former Air National Guard member accused of leaking Pentagon documents has pleaded not guilty. He will now have his day in court. 21-year-old Jack Teixeira pleaded not guilty on Wednesday to six counts of willful retention and transmission of classified information related to national defense. His family said in a statement that they continue to stand behind him and hope for a fair trial. Teixeira was taken into custody in April and has remained jailed since his arrest. He's believed to have leaked top-secret defense information to an online platform starting in 2022. Each of the six charges Teixeira faces carries up to 10 years behind bars, up to three years of supervised release, and a fine of up to $250,000. President Biden and visiting Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi will be delivering remarks and taking questions at a press event today. It's a pretty rare occurrence for Modi, who hasn't addressed a single press conference in India since he became Prime Minister roughly nine years ago. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Modi's visit and what it means for the U.S. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi arrived in the U.S. this week on his first official state visit. The two nations are working to strengthen relations amid China's growing influence and aggressive actions in the Indo-Pacific. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says while the visit is not about China, the question of China's role in the technology, economic and military domains will be on the agenda. 
Major announcements are expected Thursday from the two leaders. That includes a joint venture to build General Electric fighter jet engines in India and a deal to sell them General Atomics armed drones. The drones will help detect and counter moves by China's military along the country's border. The jet engine tech has not even been shared with treaty allies. The move could bolster ties between the U.S. and India's defense industries. Another tech deal could be with the U.S.'s largest microchip manufacturer, Micron Technology. The U.S.-based company plans to start a testing, assembly and packaging plant in Modi's home state, Gujarat. India is an alternative to China with more population and a growing economy and it's really where a lot of the high-tech industries are moving towards because in a conflict with China, you want to ensure your most important supply chain are maintained. The Biden administration is also looking to ease visa restrictions for skilled Indian workers to make it easier for them to live and work in the U.S. Washington wants India to be a strategic counterweight to China. Considering ideology, India is more aligned with the West compared to China. And when we consider India has gone through fending off Chinese aggression. So it's a very important lesson that the United States can learn from. And also having a partner in the region like India, it's going to ensure a wide range of economic and uh, geopolitical opportunities. India recently surpassed China as the world's most populous country at 1.4 billion people. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A State's De State Department spokesperson came to President Biden's defense over recent remarks about communist regime leader Xi Jinping. Biden called it a great embarrassment for dictators when the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon. The president's comment came after Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited China and met with the Chinese regime leader in Beijing. Here's how State Department spokesperson Vedant Patel put it. It should come as no surprise, of course, that we have uh, differences and disagreements with the PRC. And the president believes that diplomacy, including uh, this recent trip undertaken by the secretary, is a responsible way to manage tensions, uh, clear up misperceptions, avoid miscalculations. Uh, and all of this is, uh, is in our interest uh, to do that. Uh, that does not mean, of course, we will not be blunt and, and forthright about, uh, about our differences. Patel says he doesn't think Biden's comment walked back any progress made by Blinken during his China visit. He also says the U.S. won't hesitate to highlight the differences between democracies and autocracies. And just ahead, another lawsuit against Amazon. The Federal Trade Commission is suing the company for allegedly tricking customers into a paid subscription service. The U.S. has a homelessness crisis, and we bring you what one company is doing about it and their take on the issue after the break. Welcome back. You're just in time for some alleged deception. The Federal Trade Commission on Wednesday accused Amazon of tricking millions of customers into a paid subscription. Entity's cost MS has the details. Customers were allegedly tricked into the service without giving their consent. The company is also accused of implementing intricate steps, making it hard for customers to cancel. The FTC has been investigating sign-up and cancellation processes for the Prime program for over two years. According to the agency, Amazon also committed intentional misconduct by providing bad faith responses to requests for documents with intent to delay the investigation. The lawsuit is the FTC's latest action against the e-commerce giant in recent weeks. Last month, the FTC announced a nearly $6 million settlement with Amazon's Ring doorbell camera unit. 
The agency said cameras had been used for spying on some customers. Wednesday's lawsuit came on the day Amazon announced the July dates of its major sales event Prime Day. Cost MNS, NTD News. In a recent report, California homelessness is set to make up nearly one-third of a U.S. homeless population. With inflation, more people are on the streets now as well. And I spoke to Travis Steffens. He's the CEO of Our Investments. He told me what he's doing to help the issue and his take on how you can help the homeless too. Our focus was to purchase properties in the roughest areas of the country, the forgotten areas of the country, if you will. Uh, these properties were typically properties other people would steer away from. We steered into them. And our goal was to bring quality, affordable housing to these particular areas. And then our construction company um, was only hire homeless individuals from that area, from organizations in that area. And then obviously we would bring them in from out of town when another project would finish. 38% um, of homeless people, they abused alcohol, while 26% abused other drugs. Um, I'm wondering your, uh, your stance on this and what is the relationship that you see between drug abuse and homelessness? It's a great question. So the current census is 581,000 people homeless in the United States. And so what's cool about what you just said, and I want everybody to know this, is that 50% have something with this quote-unquote word chronic around it, but there's still 50% that are very much able to be helped and ready and willing to step up to the plate. So the 50% you just talked about with the chronic, and this word chronic has a lot of negative connotation around it, but we use that for a moment. There's a subset of homeless people that stand out on the streets that have certain levels of mental illness. So we've got those individuals on the street corner. Those are the ones we typically see. So everyone's perspective of homelessness is they're all chronically on drugs and on alcohol, and that's simply not true. Then you have the next tier of homelessness where they are using drugs and they are using alcohol to numb the pain of the shame and guilt that they feel from falling into this trap. And we all fall into traps, but our, our governmental system has made it so hard to reintegrate back into society that for them to get a job and overcome this particular thing called homelessness uh, has become overwhelming. And then we have the other tier that just fell into hard times is living in a tent in the back alley. They're sober and they just need some help to get a job and get back on their feet. What is your personal um, opinion on what the best way is to help those individuals depending on the tier they're on, so to speak? Well. My opinion is we have to stop looking to the government to fix it. Um, the government is a reflection of the people by the people. We have to start looking in the mirror and saying that we caused the problem. So if we can take responsibility for the issue, now we can say what can we do as a collective whole to fix the issue. We keep staring up at the government. The government has obviously shown us over time that their, their use of funds is not good. Every time they try to attack an issue, the, they cause more repercussions than they cause good. And so it's time for us as a people to step in. One of the things we can stop doing is stop giving money to them on the street corner. As bad as you want to do it, as bad as you want to give them the food, give them the bottle of water, 
it's simply not helping the issue. It's it's telling them that, hey, as long as you stay here in this situation, we're going to take care of you. Thank you so much, uh, Travis Steffens. I really appreciate the talk today and your time to share all this. You're so welcome. It's my honor. And one more thing that I wanted to mention, what he said is that, you know, once you lose your home, it's basically like a downward spiral. And then if you actually find the energy to find a job and go find a job, then you need to find a place to clean up. They will ask you for your ID, social security number. And what seems normal for us, he put it in a way that it's basically a Mount Everest for them to overcome. Wow. Yeah. And homelessness is really an important part of the national conversation. So thanks for bringing this up. And now we turn to some troubling news in education New scores in education are in, and they show that math and reading numbers for U.S. kids are at their lowest levels in decades. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the disappointing results. The test is called the National Assessment of Educational Progress. People call it the nation's report card. It tests 13-year-olds. The worst results were from math. Scores there dropped by the biggest margin ever recorded. Some leaders in education want to pass the buck to the COVID pandemic. But others call that a cop-out and say math and reading scores were sliding before anyone even heard of a COVID test. Catalina Stube is in that camp. Stube is the Hispanic Outreach Director for Moms for Liberty. She thinks adults and the Marxist ideology she says they're pushing in schools are the real culprit. Now we have children confused on gender, on, on anything in, in life, actually. And, and it's this lack of purpose, on real purpose they have in life, that they lost all the motivation in school. The news was bad for white students whose scores dropped by six points, but even worse for black students whose scores fell by 13 points. Stube blames that gap on who she calls ideologists and their indoctrination policies. When you push uh, critical race theory and you make everything about victims and oppressors, they think they are entitled to do not any effort in, in academics or in life. Stube says education in the U.S. has lost its way. She gives an example of the kind of stuff being taught in sex education classes. They are teaching them how to masturbate, what to put inside their bodies, um, not only for women, but for the men. And uh, this is pure perversion pushing to our children. Stube finishes up on what she sees as a ray of light, homeschooling, which is what she's doing with her kids. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And now let's get to some short headlines from around the world. Over 30 people died when a leaking LP gas tank blew up in a barbecue shop in the Chinese city of Yinchuan. Seven others are reportedly undergoing treatment for burns and cuts. The blast happened during peak dining hours. High school students and retirees are among the dead. At least five people died as multiple vehicles collided in Mexico yesterday. The accident occurred near Guadalajara and involved seven vans, four cars, a truck and four tractor trailers. More than a dozen were injured, some of them seriously. A Ukrainian missile attack struck a bridge this morning. It connects Russian-held parts of the Kyrgyzstan region with the Crimean Peninsula. The bridge is one of a few that links Crimea to the mainland. Its destruction could give Ukraine an advantage in retaking the peninsula or leverage over future negotiations. 
Coming up, your spouse is a vegetarian, but you're dying for a chicken sandwich. Regulators may have just thrown you a guilt-free lifeline by greenlighting lab-grown meat. And you're a hundred years old. How are you going to celebrate? How about a party full of the furriest friends? That's after the break. Welcome back. You love a spicy chicken sandwich on your lunch break, but feel bad in case those animals suffered. Well, help could be on the way. Regulators gave the green light yesterday to chicken grown in a lab. Animal cells are the main ingredient in this new concoction. Two California companies got the thumbs up to offer their chickeny delight to restaurants and supermarkets. They call it cultivated meat, and it's grown in steel tanks. They say the goal is tasty meat without the need to harm animals. Supporters say more lab-grown meat is better for the environment. And that's because of less grazing animals, animal waste, and growing animal feed. So what do you think? Are you ready to give it a try and report back? <laughs> well, you know, Evelyn, when it comes to food at least, I'm a firm believer that Mother Nature did it best. All right, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. Uh, a recent poll, a pea poll, showed about 50% of U.S. adults don't want to try lab-grown meat. The reason is it sounds weird. Singapore was actually the first country to allow the selling of meat made from animal cells. Moving on to a whole other story. Who let all these dogs out? A California man's 100th birthday is sure to go down in dog block party history. His daughter wanted to do something unforgettable for her dad's special milestone. So what better than a parade of four-legged friends for the lifelong doggy lover? We Rate Dogs posted all about it on Twitter. Dr. Robert Moore's family got the word out on social media. They wanted folks to dress up their furry pals and parade them in front of their house on the special day. They figured around 20 to 30 dogs would show up, but instead about 200 dogs and their owners came by to wish him a happy birthday. The turnout was such a smashing canine bonanza that the line stretched all around the block and down the street and into a block party folklore. Now, uh, this is an official announcement. If anybody is throwing me a surprise party for any reason, this is the way to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Canine bonanza for sure. Yes. Looks like a dream. All right. That's it for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. That is our email address if you have feedback or anything else that you would like to share with us. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.